Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. One of the best ways you can do this is by reading my newest book, Spiritual Intelligence, which is available for purchase everywhere you love to buy your books. Check out my new book, Spiritual Intelligence, and let me know what you think about it. I hope you enjoy this message today. Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for all these people that are listening and watching, and I pray, God, that you would just break into the reality and create an alternative reality of your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would think big, that we'd be big dreamers, that we would trust you, that our faith would grow, and that we would see things as you see it. Amen. I've been uh, on this journey for the last couple of months, and every time I get the podium, I've been teaching on the reformers are coming. And so this is like part three, and if you've, if you've been, if you've heard uh, the, the last couple messages, you'll probably be kind of really understanding where I'm going. Otherwise, it'd be great for you to go back and watch the, the previous two messages so you can kind of put together this, this puzzle of, um, I, I hope, uh, revelation. Um, <clears throat> I want to read you a, a scripture that uh, we, we started this uh, Friday meeting called, well, it started out being Bethel Education because we're building a university, but uh, it became the As One meeting because Bethel Music, Bethel Church, Bethel, all the educational, Bethel School Ministry, we're becoming one, and you're going to, we'll see that unfold in the next few months. We'll be talking to you more and more about it, but it's going to feel from the outside like the Amazon, Amazon experience in that. Just everybody has just flowed into one Bethel movement, and it's been really beautiful. So we've been um, leading those Friday meetings, and it's, it's uh, getting together with a lot of the leaders of these different, or, uh, in different parts of our organization and, and asking the question, what is your vision? And they've been sharing their vision, and we're like, how can we be a part of that vision? And I, I read this passage. Bill actually read it in, a, in a, 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 another meeting a few weeks ago. And I love it so much. Proverbs chapter 24, but I'm going to read you out of the Passion Translation. Um, I love this verse out of the Passion Translation. It's Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. Wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, and communities. And through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and they endure. Because of their skilled leadership, the hearts of people are filled with treasures of wisdom and the pleasures of spiritual wealth. Is that a good word right there? I'm going to read it one more time. Wise people are builders. They build families, businesses, and communities. And through intelligence and insight, their enterprises are established and they endure. Because of their skilled leadership, the hearts of people are filled with the treasures of wisdom and the pleasures of spiritual wealth. Just beautiful verses. I just love those, those verses. I want to talk about having a 100-year vision. And uh, the other day, this is about three days ago, four days ago, I had an experience. I don't know uh, how you are when you wake up in the morning. Kathy wakes up cheery. It's super frustrating. <laughs> she wakes up and she wants to talk about the challenges of the day as soon as her eyes open. And she's like, you know, we're doing this thing. I'm like, oh gosh, I can't, my brain isn't even all the way on. I'm like, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm old enough that my brain's on dial-up. You know, it's like the old internet dial-up. <laughs> That's how it feels in the morning. And so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, you know, the uh, early bird gets the worm guy. I've never liked worms. I'm definitely the second mouse gets the cheese guy. So 
I was, uh, <laughs> get to think through that, I guess. The first, first mouse died, so the second, anyway, you got to get that. So I, I, I just letting you know, like, I very seldom have early morning encounters with the Lord because I am not even conscious. So I was getting ready for work, and I had already showered and shaved, and I was putting my deodorant on. And while I was doing that, I had this, I could say it's like an experience, but I saw with my eyes, as if it was written in the air, the word zenith. Zenith. I was, I was so groggy that I'm like, well, maybe I saw it on the dispenser for my deodorant. You know, I thought maybe my mind played, played a trick on me and maybe the word zenith was somewhere on the, I have to see it in a passing moment. So I read the entire instructions, even the little, like what they put in it. I'm like, no, it's not there. And uh, it lasted about three seconds, like the word zenith. And the only, the only, my only exposure to the word zenith was the TV we had when I was a kid. And I don't use that word. I've never even heard that word used in, in anyone's conversation. So I kind of finished getting ready, and I went over and uh, Googled the word. Google knows everything. <clears throat> if you read it on Google, it's got to be true. And here's what I learned from the definition of the word zenith, the highest point reached in the heavens by a celestial body, the accumulating point at the zenith of his powers, the time at which something is most powerful or successful. And I I left the house that day just thinking about this experience I had, and I felt like the Lord wanted us to be in a zenith, like this high place, like come up here. I came into work that day, and I, Dan was the first person I connected with, and I said, I had this experience, I was telling him the whole thing, and, and, I, and, and I told him what it meant, and he's like, oh, well, that's not good. <laughs> Only a teacher could think that's not good. I said, why, why do you think it's not good? He goes, well, it's only downhill from here. I'm like, you could wreck the parables of Jesus. <laughs> Dan is wrong in this situation. I believe the Lord is trying to get us out of the cloud, that, that dark cloud that's been over us, and he's pulling us up to the high place, if you will, the highest place, the celestial place of greatness. Are you with me? This, I believe that we're at a tipping point, a peak, if you will, and you know, Dan and I laugh together, by the way, teasing him, but, uh, and even Dan is agreeing with me now, I believe. <laughs> I walked away believing that he agrees with me. And I believe that we're building a legacy, a legacy. I love what it says, kind of in the Bible, but in the movie Gladiator. (laughs) When Maximus says, what we do today will echo in eternity. How many understand that is actually in the Bible? Like you are affecting eternity by what you do today. You you don't put your, your trust your treasure, don't let it be here. Like, store it up so that you are affecting eternity. And I want to talk about having a 100-year vision. In the 80s, I'm in the automotive business for so many years that so many of my parables, metaphors are automotive. And in the 80s, I worked in repair shops all these years. And the, the Japanese began to produce incredibly good cars, like great quality. And by the way, if you worked on cars in the 50s and 60s, the Japanese cars were terrible. Like, they were horrible. But they went through some uh, 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 metamorphosis. And they began to build some of the best quality cars 
and, and, and ship them to America. And General Motors, Ford, and Chevy, their cars were just not good quality. I liked it because they kept me in business. <laughs> but one of the CEOs of the big three went to a conference that the Japanese did on manufacturing. I think it may have been Nissan in the early 80s. So the, so the Japanese car manufacturers put on this big conference around building quality cars. And one of the CEOs from the big three, and I honestly don't remember which one, I think it might have been General Motors, but flew to the conference. And they opened the conference, and one of the, one of the uh, CEOs of the uh, Japanese companies opened the conference and did the first session. And he wrote up on a whiteboard, I think it was a digital whiteboard, he wrote, our 100-year vision. And he commenced to tell the audience what their 100-year vision was as a company. Well, the CEO of the American manufacturer got in a plane and flew straight home. And he was met by the the chairman of of the board of that company. And he said, what are you doing home so early? Isn't this a five-day conference? He said, yeah. But he said, I was in the first session and I figured out what we're doing wrong. He said, what was that? He said, we're building cars. They're building a legacy we can't complete. We can't compete. They're building, we're building cars. They're building a legacy. We can't compete. And it so impacted me. That story so impacted me that I feel like, like what you believe about the end has everything to do with how you behave in the middle. I've used this example for many, many years uh, I, I think it's a, a, a great example. You know, if I had a 55 Chevy and you had a restoration shop, and I said, I just want you, like, I want, I want you to make this car like it was brand new. And halfway through the restoration, I visit the shop and I say, oh, when you guys get done with this, I'm going to put this car in the destruction derby. How many know it's probably going to affect the quality of your work? And what I'm getting at is the way you think about the end has everything to do with how you behave in the middle. And I was the product of the Jesus movement, which I've shared also many times. And I, the very first cassette, you guys remember cassettes? Cassette series I received was called The Late Great Planet Earth. And I think it was like, uh, the, and there was, I think it was a, a six or eight series tape set. And one of the tapes was, was titled something like this, how to teach your children how to not take the mark of the beast. True story. And the whole series was about making sure that the Antichrist didn't get your children. We spent years, 20 years, studying the seven years of the book of Revelation to make sure that the Antichrist didn't get us. And I'm here to tell you that that idea that it's all going to burn is why we never change the world. We would say it all the time like, oh, it's all going to burn. Oh, I lost my job today. It's all going to burn. Got in a car accident. It's all going to burn. Oh, my house got termites. It's all going to burn. In other words, don't give a rip about now because our whole life is going to be in heaven. And yet our prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven wasn't essential to us. And so I've been thinking about how important 
is our eschatology. Eschatology means what do you think theologically about the last days? And of course, I told you what my, our last days theology was for 20 years. And I, last week or two weeks ago when I taught, I read a passage, two passages, and contrasted them. I had some feedback, like I wasn't sure what your point was, which that's because you weren't in spirit. <laughs> or I wasn't. But I, I want to I read you just a portion of these, these two verses uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, it begins like this in verse 2. Now it will come about in the last days. Everybody say the last days. Last days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will become chief of the mountains. It will, um, it, uh, it will become chief, established as chief of the mountains, raised above the hills, and the nations will stream to it. And it's, so it's this whole passage about what it's going to look like in the last days. It goes on and on, several verses, and then it, and then it kind of ends with these in verse 4 and 5. And it says... And um, it's talking about God, and it says, And he will judge between many nations. He will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their, spru- their spoons, <laughs> their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but that's on a big plaque across the street from the United Nations, like on a, like a 10-foot large plaque that verse, Isaiah 2. The United Nations was based on Isaiah 2 through 4. So in the last days. Now, there's another set of verses about the last days in the book of Joel. And what I want to tell you about the book of Joel, you may know this, but the book of Joel is one prophecy from the first chapter to the last chapter. Uh, uh, To contrast Isaiah, if you read Isaiah, Isaiah is more like reading a magazine in that it's a series of different prophecies. Like prophecy, uh, Isaiah 45 may not have nothing to do with Isaiah 62. They're, they're separate prophecies. But Joel is, has it's one prophecy. And in chapter 2, it's the prophecy, you know where Peter um, prophesied or takes the prophecy out of Joel and says, in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit in all flesh. Are you guys with me? Are you bored? Okay, that prophecy is out of Joel 2.28. So he says, in the last days, everybody say, in the last days, days. I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and so on and so forth. That's Joel 2, and it starts in verse 28. When we get down to Joel chapter 3, and by the way, remember, this is all one prophecy. Joel chapter 3 begins like this. Proclaim among the nations, prepare for war, rouse the mighty men, let all the soldiers draw near, and listen to this. Let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. And he goes on to say, let the, mighty, let the weak say, I'm a mighty man, prepare for war, put in the sickle, and it, it kind of uh, ends in, chapter, in verse 14, the wickedness has overflown, multitudes of multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Okay, uh, where am I going? I'm contrasting, Isaiah says in the last days that the Lord will come and He will create a time of peace. He will decide between nations. They will take their swords and they will beat them into pruning hooks. In other words, they'll take their war machines and they will spend money on agriculture and positive things. And the end of that says, and never again will they train for war. Never again will they train for war. But Joel says, there's a time coming 
And he says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we know last days already happened. Joel, Acts 2. And he goes, and he said, and I'm going to rouse the mighty men, and I'm going to call people to war. They're going to take their pruning hooks, and they're going to beat them into swords. And they're going to take their plowshares and beat them into spears. And, there's gonna, and then I'm going to call them down into the valley of decision. And, and there's this terrible wickedness. And in the valley of decision, I'm going to meet them in the valley of decision in a war. When's that going to happen? In the last days. My point I was trying to make is there's two contrasting last days summaries. And by the way, there are many verses to go with the Isaiah 2 one, and there are many more verses to go with the Joel 2 to 4 one. Are you following me? The outcomes are polar opposite. Now, there are many ways to think of this. You can think, well, Joel already happened because Peter even called the Joel verses. There was war, the 70 AD, you know, the Romans came in and destroyed the Saw the, the temple, and you can say, well, that already happened in the last days starts here and it goes to here. Uh, my point is actually this. What do you have faith for? Okay, m- let me make a better point. When David lived, he lived in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Remember, Jesus hadn't died yet. And they, when David actually Um, walked the planet, the only books of the Bible that were complete were the first five books of the Bible. That's all they had. Uh, Obviously, David wrote Psalms, and Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs, and so on after that. And then you had the book of Kings, and all of those books. But they were the only books that he would have had, probably, most likely, was just the five books of the Bible. First books of the Bible. In those books, the Lord had a, gave instruction to Moses when he was on the mountain. If you don't know this, you can look it up. And the Lord encountered Moses and told Moses that he wanted Moses to build a tabernacle. Thus it was called the tabernacle of Moses. I don't want to bore you with it, but let me say this. That every single detail about the tabernacle and who ministered in the tabernacle and how they ministered was in this vision. Just like if you would build a house and it would be down to where every wire goes, where every, where, where, how the roof line is, what material you would use. It was exactly like that. It is, it is hundreds of verses long. And even who was anointed to build it? Like God even said, I'm going to put these guys in charge and they're going to work in silver and gold and I'm going to put the spirit on them. It was very, very, very detailed. And God instructed Moses to build an ark called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box. And that ark was called the Ark of the Covenant because the Lord covenant to always be in the box. Yes, God was in the box. It's, you can't make this stuff up. And he told Moses, uh, told Moses that there would be three compartments in this tabernacle. And it would be the outer court, the holy place, and the Holy of Holies. I know this is maybe a little bit more than you want to know, but there's a point to it. The, the tabernacle of Moses 
I'm sorry, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. Got it? In the Holy Room. It was all made out of gold. And the high priest, only once a year, only the high priest could go in once a year with blood. And let me say this, if he even sweat, he was killed by God. This is the law. And they tied a rope around him. This is true. Because if he died in there, it was so illegal to go in, you couldn't even go in to get him out. And he had bells <laughs> on his robe. You go, oh, how cute. No, that was so you'd know he's dead. When the bell stopped ringing, they go, oh, God killed him. And they would drag, winch his butt out of there. Are you with me? And he could only go in once a year with blood before the ark. Okay, now, David, that's the only book David has. Are you with me? It's the Bible. God said, this is how you worship me. It will be like this, very strict. And by the way, if you get it wrong, you're just dead. David takes the Ark of the Covenant, brings it into a porpoise tent, made of porpoise skin, only one chamber. And he tells all the Levitical priests, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship We're going to worship God for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they did it for at least 32 years. The Levitical priests all went in before the ark. Now, you have to understand, it wasn't just wrong, it was unbiblical. No, it was anti-biblical. And so you can imagine the first priest, David's like, okay, I want you to go in, you know, sing. I want you to sing. And I'm sure the priests are like, Okay, Joel, you go first. <laughs> I mean, they had to be terrified. You, you understand? Like they, they, they had stories of priests dying because they sweat, and David wants to go in, all of us in there, singing. There was no singing in the Ark of the, in, 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 in Moses' tabernacle. And he's like, yeah, bring the instruments in. And he says, let's make sounds of joy. This is it. This is all of our, make sounds of joy. This little lot of wine. I mean, I can imagine, like, they have to be terrified. The question becomes, and I've heard lots of messages about this over the years, how did David, how, 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 first of all, how did he get away with that? And secondly, okay, well, okay, so let me give you a verse. Acts 2.29, uh, Peter's talking, and, he's, and he talks about, he's talking about David. And he said, David both died and was buried. So because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath that one of his descendants would sit on the throne, he looked ahead at the resurrection of Christ. He looked ahead at the resurrection of Christ. In other words, David looked ahead, the resurrection. He had to see the death of Christ because he saw the resurrection. And he goes, hey, there's a people, God's going to die for people, and they're going to have God inside of them. No longer are they going to have to send one priest in to worship. They will all be a kingdom of priests. And David lived future present instead of past present. He pulled into his day something that was actually assigned to another day. And he said, this is coming. I take it now. I'm going to worship God because that's what he really wants. Now, that's powerful, right? Here's the most powerful part. In Acts chapter 15, 
the apostles are having a discussion about the Gentiles getting saved and do they have to keep the law. So they all meet, they all fly in for this big conference. I think it was more like boat in for this big conversation. And as they're sharing, James, who's the leader of the senior apostle of the church of Jerusalem, stands up and he quotes this verse out of Amos 9. In the last days, the tabernacle, I will, no, in the last days, I will establish, I will reestablish the tabernacle, and you think he's going to say of Moses. But he said, instead he says, in the last days, I'll raise up the tabernacle of David. I will wall up its ruins, I'll raise up its breaches, so that all mankind might seek the Lord. I don't know if you know where I'm going. It was God's idea to, to have the tabernacle of Moses. It was David's idea to have the tabernacle of David. God goes, I like that, let's do it again. I like what was done for love much better than what was done by law, let's do that again. You're like, why are you sharing that story now? Because I'm wondering if there are alternative ends to the movie. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. In the last days, they'll never again train for war. In the last days, they'll just be warring all the time. In the last days, they won't be warring. I'm like, I take that. I'm saying, me. Uh, You can do. You're like, what if you're wrong? I'll be the happiest guy the beast ever ate. I take Isaiah's word in the last days. He's going to raise up the mountain of the house of the Lord. People are going to stream to it. They're going to go, let's go to the mountain of the house of the Lord. He'll teach us their ways. The instruction's going to go forth from Mount Zion. They're going to take their swords and they're going to beat them into plowshares. The Lord's going to make decisions between nations and never again will they learn war. Someone already caught the vision and started the United Nations. Whether What you and I think about the United Nations, not my point. I'm saying somebody said, how about now? And I'm like, how about if we start believing? How about if we started, stop being victims? Okay, I'm gonna, I know. I'm concerned because we're streaming what I'm going to say. I'm saying, what if we were born to win? I I don't know about you, but I'm so sick of losing. You know, know, PTSD, it's like you start to believe it's going to happen again. It's like, no, I'm believing that we win. I just want to get out of like, oh, the conspiracy theories. and like You get so in the conspiracy theories, you forget about God's. Well, I think they're real. There is a real devil. He has a plan. God's got one too. He put it in the most famous book ever printed. He's like, here's my conspiracy theory. Try and stop me. Okay, I know that didn't get as much applause. I get it, but I'm pointing out that we have gotten in this mode. Maybe you have it. So let me not judge you, y'all. Y'all, all you watching. They were in this, many of us are in this mode like, the virus, the, this, Facebook took me off the page. It's like, no, God took you off. <laughs> I don't know if he did. I'm just being a little funny right now. It's kind of light in the mode. <laughs> how, do you know, how do you know God took him off? Because I ask God, please take these people off. 
If the light it says in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Oh, Facebook, get me off the page. No, God's like, stop talking. Stop commenting. I don't know if he did. I'm just being funny. But I'm like, you know, you know all of us parents, you have your kids come home and they got an F on the report card. I got an F. Oh, the world's over. I'm not going to get a job and then I'm going to starve and then I'm going to die. It's just an F. Your teacher doesn't know how to train a genius. Don't worry about it. <laughs> My boyfriend broke up with me. Glad he did. Your mother and I have been praying for a long time. <laughs> you, you know what I'm trying to say. It's like, you don't panic. Like, you've been here before. It's not a big deal. Their world is over, and you're like, a flop. Get off. This is part of believing. You're like, it's going to work out. My life is over. Nah, we didn't like him anyway. It's not good enough for your, your grandmother said. We have a mission to disciple nations. I, I want to read you a couple of verses. I know you've read them before. Genesis 17, 5, God is speaking to Abram. He says, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you, listen to this, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Your name won't be Abram because you're not just a father of a nation. You're the father of a multitude of nations. Abraham, think bigger. <gasps> well, you know, I'm having problems with Sarah today. Come out and look at the stars. Count. One, two, three. There's no stars out. Let's count sand. God's like, Abraham, come on. You are the father of many nations. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Paul picks up that theme, and, he's, and, he, and he talks about how the people who love Jesus are actually sons of Abraham, who was the first one to believe. Right? And he says this, and he said, Abraham became the father of many nations, and in the presence of him who believed, this is uh, verse 17 of chapter 4 of Romans, in the presence of him who believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls to being that which does not exist, in hope against hope, he, speaking of Abraham, believed that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, and so shall your descendants be. Uh, let me translate that. He's saying to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then he says to all of us, if you, were, if you believe, you are Abraham's children, and you receive the inheritance of what? The father of many nations. We're over here like worried about one little thing. I'm going to die from the pandemic. You'll go to heaven. I don't want to die. You're all going to die. You're all terminal. Everybody in this room, you're all terminal. Stand up if you're terminal. Everybody stands up. You're terminal. The question is, are you really going to live? Are you really going to live? God has given us a land. Well, let me explain what I mean. Uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, uh, you know this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and listen to this part, and heal their land. My point is, 
God has also assigned us a land. Uh, you can always tell the guy who pays the electric bill because he's the guy or the gal who runs around turning off the lights in the house. My grandkids are like, you always turn the lights off. Like, you know who pays the bill. <laughs> it's like, there's something about ownership that matters, is my point. I- I'm saying it's important to have a patriotic spirit. God has given you a land. If it's America, then it should be America. If it's Israel, whatever, wherever you're from, we have people from all over the world watching, right? Whatever your land, like take ownership of your land. But remember this, but the transcending kingdom mandate on our lives is to disciple all nations, tribes, and tongues. Follow me. Therefore, we must honor our own nation and have a deep sense of loyalty and patriotism to our country without losing the kingdom mandate to father all the nations of the world. God so loved the world. He didn't so love America. He loved the world. We are called to love the world, not just our own nation. It's an honor, our honor and privilege to care about the way our nation behaves towards other nations because we are fathers and mothers of the world. As believers, we can't embrace nationalism in a way that disregards our love for the nations of the world. I'm saying, yes, we should take ownership, be patriotic, be loyal. But my loyalty, my loyalty to, 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 to Ben doesn't mean I don't have any other friends. Okay, here we go. Okay, let me put it this way. When I first came to Bethel, I came here as a business person. You would know that. And one of the things that happens in business is you're, you're always negotiating with your employees, with your suppliers, with your customers, with your leasers, leasees, all of it. Like, and so, you, you, you know, one of the things it takes to be a good business person is you learn to negotiate. And so I took some classes, I, I, I read some books on negotiating, and I actually became a very good negotiator. As a matter of fact, when someone wanted to buy a new car in our county, they usually came to me and I negotiate the deal for their car. I, and I always negotiate it for win-lose. Because like, it's like if Ben and I are playing basketball and we're on opposite teams, like we may be friends, but we get on the court. It's, we both know, like, I'm here to beat you. And I always thought, like, if Ben's in business and I'm in business and we're competitors, it's like dog eat dog. You, you come into my court, I'm here to beat you. That's how I lived. That's how I negotiated. And I feel like Ben's negotiating for hit. He's, he's negotiating win-lose. He's trying to get the best deal. I'm trying to get the best deal. And we're going to end up somewhere in the middle because he's negotiating only for him. I'm negotiating only for me. When I came to Bethel, I negotiated many deals like that for Bethel. And one day, I had just finished negotiating a deal like that. And, um, and, and the Lord talked to me. <laughs> and he said to me, he asked me this question. Do you believe I take good care of you? And the key word was Believe. Do you believe I take good care of you? I go, yeah. No, he said, do you believe I take good care of you? I said, yes, I believe you take, you take good care of me. He said, okay, now, from now on, I never want you to negotiate for win-lose. You must negotiate for win-win because many people don't believe I take good care of them and therefore they don't receive. And what he said, what he was saying to me is, you believe I take good care of you, and therefore I take good care of you, because by faith you believe I take good care of you. So I do take good care of you. 
but you are negotiating with other people who either don't know me or don't believe I take good care of them, and therefore they don't receive what I'm trying to give them. So you must care about them so that I can care for them through your negotiating. Because I am not, I never want you to think again, I have to take care of me because I want you to know I take care of you. And if they don't believe I take care of them, I can't take care of them because they won't believe me. Therefore, I want you to negotiate in a way that you take care of them because I want to take care of them. So the Lord said, from now on, you will only negotiate for win-win, never negotiate for win-lose again. So a few, it was maybe a few months later, Kathy and I went to buy a, a new vehicle. It was new to us. We didn't have much money in those days. And uh, so we went down to the uh, dealership in town, and we found an SUV that Kathy really liked, and we, we said, okay, this is good. Let's, it was used. It had a few thousand miles on it. We talked to the salesman, and uh, we said, hey, you guys, why don't you guys talk and figure out what you want to sell it for, and we'll go have lunch, and we'll pray about what we want to pay for it. And when you um, come to a price, give us a phone call, and we'll come back from lunch. And he goes, oh, no, no, you have to come in here. I go, oh, no, we don't negotiate that way. You decide what you want for it. We'll decide if we can afford it. So we went to lunch. And he, was, he, he kind of follows out. No, that's not the way we do it. I said, here's my cell number. Give me a call. So we go, we, we're eating lunch, and the phone rings. And we, at, at lunch, we prayed. And I, I, I think, I don't know if I have the numbers right, uh, we prayed, and uh, I think we thought we, could, we would pay 19000 for it. Uh, we had looked around, and we had an idea what, what they cost, and so we think, well, 19000 is a, you know, it's not, it's not low book, it's not high book, but it feels like they can make a profit, and we would be happy with that. So uh, about 20 minutes into lunch, he calls, and he says, hi, Mr. Valentin, can you come down here? We'd like to, I said, no, no, just tell me what the price is, and if, it's, if, if, it's, if we can afford it, we'll buy it. He said, okay, well, we'd like to sell it to you for 18000 I said, oh, we can't buy it for that. We have to buy it for nineteen. He said, Mr. Valentin, I'm sorry. We want to sell it to you for 18000 I said, oh, no, I understand that, but that's not enough profit for you. We felt like we were supposed to pay nineteen for it. He said, Mr. Valentin, are you asking to pay more than we're asking? I said, yes. He said, we've never had that happen before. I said, well, I, I'm not going to buy it unless we can pay 19 for it. And he's like, okay, Mr. Belton, we'll have the paperwork ready. Well, when I get there, he says, he meets me at the door and he goes, Mr. Belton, can you come in and meet the owner? And it was actually Taylor Motors, uh, Mr. Taylor. So I said, God, this is getting weird. You, you know, this is like, you know when you just do a little thing and then you want to make a big deal out of it? And I'm like, uh, okay. So he brings me in, Kathy and I in. He said, tell Mr. Taylor what you just told me. I says, I'm sorry, this is not supposed to be a, be a big deal. We just want to make sure we, you know, it's a win for you and it's a win for us. We were in business. We want to make sure that you prosper. And we were willing to pay 19000 for it, so we just want to pay 19000 for it. He said, Mr. Valentin, I've been here for I've been like 45 years. I have never had a customer want to pay more than we're asking. I said, well, that's what we want to do. And he's, you know, anyway, made a big deal out of it, and we left. What's the point? The point is, do you believe Jesus takes care of you? Or not? I, I just want to think big. I was telling you, like, we're having these meetings on Fridays. And uh, last, not this week's, but last Friday's meeting, 
I just like, I've just been thinking like, if we're going to change the world, we have to think big. So I wrote on the board before they came in, think like Elon Musk, dream like Walt Disney, build like Steve Jobs, collaborate like Abraham Lincoln's team of rivals, invent like Nikola Tesla, war like Winston Churchill, and be Jesus to the lost. <laughs> and I wrote it on the board. And at the top of it, I wrote, only think big. Like, don't come in here thinking like mice. Like, we were created to disciple nations. Can't we start thinking like winners? I won't want to be in defense the rest of my life. Hanging around with people. Jesus eats problems for breakfast. I don't want to be like the 10, you know, spies. Yes, we went into the promised land. Ah, 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 ah. We saw the giants. Ah, ah. I love the rest of that conversation. You know, the 10 spies reporting on how many giants there were. And Moses falls down on the, floor, on the ground. And Aaron's like, he's down, I'm down. Aaron's down on the ground. They're all weeping. And Joshua looks at Caleb. And Joshua, and I think it was Caleb who said, we saw giants, but they shall be to us. And this is what it says in Hebrew, someone told me. It says, they shall be to us our prey. But the Hebrew says, and they shall be to us our daily bread. We saw the giants, and we shall eat them for breakfast. This is a God we serve. I love this quote. It's, um, it was uh, quoted by Steve Jobs, but he did not write the quote. Uh, Rob Steelen did. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pigs in the square holes, the Bethel people, the ones who see things differently. They are not fond of rules, amen. They have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, or glorify them, or vilify them. The only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy ones, we see them as genius. (laughs) In the last service, I said Jesus by accident. Not, it's the same, though. We see them as genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the only ones who actually do. Uh, this, is, this is our mandate. I, uh, three days ago, I was, uh, I've had a cold for a couple weeks. You know how you wake up in the morning and you're just no energy? I was having one of those mornings, and I've been, since Eric and Candace left, a lot of us are, you know, having 8, 10, 12 meetings a day, just reorganizing. It's just been a lot of, it's been fun, but it's been a lot of work. And I looked at my planner while I was still in bed, and I'm like, oh gosh, I have 10 meetings today. I just can't, I just don't feel like I can do this. And, um, and I looked at the first two meetings, and not meetings I had to be at, so I called my, my PA and said, can you just, I just, Tell the guys I won't be at the first two meetings. I just got to go back to sleep. And so I went back to bed. I didn't sleep. I just kind of laid there. And I was kind of praying and thinking. And, I, uh, I, uh, and thinking about the anxiety I was having over, oh, I just don't know if I can finish this week. And the Lord interrupted my thoughts. And he said, don't imagine your day without me. Imagine the day with me, working with you. And then he said this to me, and this is the second part of the message, which I I won't get to, of course. I'm going to send you angel help from now on. I want you to expect them to show up. They will strengthen you, 
help carry out the word you speak, explain the revelation that you have to the people, and protect you. The second part of, my, of the message is, where are all the angels? And I believe that in this zenith moment, that we are going to experience angel help like we did in the book of Acts. And I believe that God's going to become the X factor in all the things you think you're worried about in culture, I have concerns too. I'm not pretending there are no problems. I'm just reminded that I have a God that knows how to fix anything. He eats problems for breakfast. And I was born to win. Would you stand up, please? I want you to say this with me. Would you shout it? If you're online, just, just wake your neighbor. I want you to shout, we win. Ready? One, two, three. We win. Let's try it again. One, two, three. We win. We win. I want you to leave today thinking we win. And every time during the day that you have worry, which I understand that. I'm not impervious to it. I want you to remember that you shouted, we win. We win. We win. What if I run into a problem that's bigger than me? You're not going to run into a problem that's bigger than God. Elon Musk, I don't know if Elon Musk has a relationship with God. I don't think he does. I think he's an atheist. He's dreaming that we're going to colonize Mars. I'm like, we got to think bigger. I'm thinking Jupiter. (laughs) Really, there's no atmosphere there. There will be when we get there. I'm like, come up here. Dream big. Think big. Can we please get out of defense mode? Can we get out of, the devil's killing us, the devil's doing everything. I'm like, let's have a plan. Let's disciple nations. Did you see what's happening with the children, transgender, this, that, that? And yes, I did, but I also understand that God looks at the enemy, you know, Psalms 2, and the kings of the earth, they rebel against God, and God laughs from heaven. And I'm like, I think sometimes we just got to take a chill pill. We got to be like, all right, we're in this for 100 years. We're not going to change this in a year. We're probably not going to change it in a month. It's obvious that if one president isn't going to change it. Probably God's going to change it. But we win. Isaiah 2, we win. We're going to win. Lord, I pray that we would get the we win spirit. Lord, I pray for faith to rise. People online, people at home, everywhere. Lord, I pray that we would get that faith of Abraham. I believe that if Isaac dies, you'll raise him from the dead. I don't know how this is going to work, but I know you're going to work it out. Lord, may we have the Joshua and Caleb. Like, we eat problems for breakfast. They shall be to us our daily bread. Lord, can we just come up here? Can we come up here and see what you're thinking? Lord, show us your conspiracy. Give us your plan. May we be as wise as serpents, innocent as doves. May you send us out with angel help. When it looks really bad, may it instantly turn good, and we know God's involved. Lord, we bless every single person in here. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed that message. 
You know that this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. I want you to experience what it means to truly think like God and have the mind of Christ. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do this is to read my book, Spiritual Intelligence, which is available for purchase everywhere you love to buy books. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to share your thoughts with me.